Hello, I'm Edgar Papke. <laughs> and I'm Ken Sagendorf. You didn't sound so sure of yourself there, Edgar. <laughs> Monday morning, having trouble getting the words from my lips into the world. Well, we have so much fun before we get started. You know, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. I sometimes wonder if, if we ought to start the... Uh, I start to tape a little earlier every week. Yeah, I agree with you. How well, are you doing? I'm yeah. good. Welcome to the True Alignment Podcast. Where we talk about all things alignment because it's all about alignment. It is. I, you know, we'll, we'll get into that conversation a little bit. We're live here in the Innovation Center in the Anderson College of Business and Computing at Regis University in Denver, Colorado. Where we seem to be every Monday morning at this time. <laughs> well, I wasn't last week. And so here, here's what I learned. Kudos on episode 20 last week. Oh. Um, Q&A with Jim and Edgar. Um, Jim's gunning for my job, I think. <laughs> I got a way to go for that one. <laughs> well, I missed you guys last week. Well, thank you very much. We missed you too. I've walked in and I was kind of like, now what? Yeah. Yeah. It was unfamiliar. We're, what, 20 episodes or something? 21 this week. 21. We're legal. Yeah, we're legal. We're drinking age now. Oh, get, get the bourbon. Get this. Yeah. And away we go. Yeah. So, Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How about you guys? Oh, not bad. Um, uh, Jim is a is our um, he's our right hand man here at the board and um, setting things up every week for us to have success and and coming to you here from from Anderson College and um, also uh, an entrepreneur these days. His uh, company, his carpentry company. Uh, well, it's TS Carpentry. Really what you're doing is, is custom cabinets. Yeah, custom cabinets. And just so. taking off like crazy. We're trying to keep up. Trying to keep up and stay aligned. Yep. Okay. Yep. We're, uh, we just hired our first employee today, actually. <laughs> so we're, uh, we're pretty excited. Well, we're going to be tracking your progress here over the, over the upcoming episodes here and uh, even get, get, you in for, get you on board for a scheduled interview to see how things are going and what, what, what challenges you're having. I was going to say, yeah. I feel a study coming on here. Well, you're right. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're high in demand, Jim. Yeah. Um, you have a steep growth curve potential ahead of you, and yet still just kind of really getting underway. Yeah. Yeah, we have a lot to build still. Awesome. Uh, moved into a new not building. Just cabinets. <laughs> so yeah. you've moved into a new building. You've got some new machinery, some new equipment. Yep. We're moving into a new space. Yeah. Uh, we're getting wired up. Mm-hmm. and. Yeah. So, Jim, let me ask you this. So my favorite question of, of most entrepreneurs What's your greatest fear? I guess the easiest one would be failure, of course. But um, mm-hmm. I think the next one would be, um, that's a good question. I think, you know, that failure comment, I hear this from entrepreneurs all the time. I, I, you know, my advice would be to think about it a little bit like riding a mountain bike. And so you look down at the trail and you ride the trail and when you turn around, you can. it's okay when you turn around to say, holy shit, I can't believe I just made it over that trail. Yeah. But if you think about it before, oh. that's a whole different whole different approach. Yeah, I guess to not miss everything because it's going to blow past really fast. Yeah, and there's something about that too because a lot of people say, well, you have to be fearless to be an entrepreneur. I uh, would, would suggest to you in all conversations with entrepreneurs, it's not about being fearless. It's about understanding the fear. Yeah. It's about recognizing it understanding and, and working through it. And we've had this conversation here too, is that it's not about going around the fear. It's, it's going through it. Yep. And, uh, that's, uh, and that's where the, I think the real learning takes place too. Yeah. 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 I think that's the, been our biggest, 
our biggest strength so far is uh, my partner Tony and I. We're just we're ready to go head forward, figure out the problem, and you know keep moving. So mm-hmm. keep that communication open. I mean, I think that's the thing. Yeah, and you have to you have to be able to lean into the process, um, which is our conversation for today, which is about um, having a, a clarity that uh, the process in of itself and the process of alignment is being able to lean into. Uh, knowing what it is that your that your purpose is, uh, your your individual, you you and your partner, and your collective purpose, and how do you bring that to life through the business and consistent consistently aligned to that. So as you develop your vision, now that you're in a in a new building, how many square feet do you have? We're just uh, we're pushing over seven thousand square feet in the new wow. new shop. Okay, it's a good start for for a shop uh, in at the size of what you're at, and then. If you think about vision for the future, if things keep going, if you were to uh, have a trajectory based on where, what your experience has been in the last few months, it kind of has a little bit of a holy cow attached yeah. to it. It's kind of like, whoa, what do we, we've got to plan this 7,000 square feet really well yep. to be able to be efficient and effective. And so now you start th- talking about nuts and bolts vision, yeah. which is what we use to describe a vision in the true alignment framework. We like to think of a vision as an articulated future state. So there's some clarity and some idea of what it looks like. A lot of times people, I think, confuse the idea of vision, mission. Well, I guess I guess it's really a matter of semantics and what your definition is. But very often, you know, we want to be the best at something becomes their vision. And if you would like to call it that, yeah, but I, I think you've you've got to get clear on differentiation of what a mission and a purpose is and what and then a picture of what you want the future to look like so you can be able to articulate and be able to um, convert that to strategy. Right. We like to use the definition of strategy as a periodic change plan. So what's the vision look like? And then what do we, and you see this in EOS and OKR systems and all the different tracking systems of performance. What we're really talking about is getting clear what are we going to do the next 30, 60, 90 days for the next year those are change plans, yeah, and they're all and need to come into alignment with what you want the vision for the business to be, and in there lies a process. That's the process. Begin with the sense of alignment to yourself as a as a as a person, as a, and who you really want to be, and then how do you bring that into your role in a business? And whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're a member of an organization. Uh, having that kind of clarity of alignment and then being able to tie into the vision and, and, and strategically think. Keep in mind that when we talk to leaders about where the barriers to innovation are, in the top three, we, we, we find strategic misalignment as being one of the true challenges that they face. Yeah, and I wonder, I, I wonder if that's um, a result of a lack of clarity of that vision. Right. And so, uh, you know, part of this, part of the conversation this morning and the ideas were, um, you know, I was at a conference last week and for the uh, global accrediting body of, of business colleges and, and schools and universities. And um, it was kicked off by the president, uh, Dr. Karen Beck Dudley, and she said, everything we teach in a business school is freely available on YouTube. Mm hmm. Which is, you know, she's talking to a large collection of deans. Right. Either that or you go to LinkedIn. Yeah. Either way. Sign up for it. Or right. I mean, learning is available class, everywhere. Right? Exactly. And master classes now are everywhere, aren't they? Totally, totally, totally. 
I mean, you can go get a certificate in X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, we need to think ourselves in higher education about what, what we're really about. But, you know, there were other uh, fantastic talks at that conference. One is, um, you know, Simon Sinek gave a keynote, and he described vision as a just cause, mm-hmm. meaning some amount of clarity that you would be willing to sacrifice to accomplish, right? And I, and I think that's an alignment conversation. Oh, it is. Very much so. I, I mean, we yes, think everything's an alignment conversation. Well, but it is. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> but, but, you know, that idea of sacrifice, and I think this is another point, Jim, about being an entrepreneur, is that, um, you know, the public uh, phrases them as, um, you know, willing, you know, kind of like jumping out of the plane without a parachute, willing to take on risk. And that's not it at all, to Edgar's point, right? I mean, it's very calculated risk for an entrepreneur. It's wise decision-making based on that vision, based on that direction, but you make choices. Yeah. Right. And I think that it's just, uh, it's not you try everything and anything. It's you make choices. Right. And have a strategy for the unknown, mm-hmm. you know, like planning for new machines. Like we're doing our electrical tomorrow and it's like, okay, we need breakers for our current machine, but we also need breakers for the next machines, you know, mm-hmm. when we order those. Yeah. So thinking ahead and looking ahead in that way and making the choices around that. Yeah. And the choices and the power of choice. Um, we, I think we sometimes overlook it, uh, what, what's behind it. Because if we're really making good choices, what we're doing is at the same time we're moving into the space of solving a problem or of identifying whatever the gap is and what we're trying to achieve. And so you start thinking about the power of choice and the ability to solve problems and to think innovatively as we make choices. Sometimes we limit ourselves. And I think this is part of that conversation that philosophically has been embedded in us uh, as humankind is the idea that to move forward, we have to make some sacrifices. I think that the, the sacrifices of, in them, in, of themselves um, are a good reminder that we need to step back and do some problem solving and take a look at even why we see it as sacrifices or that we may be limiting our choices. I think that when when we get a sense that we're limited and we have constraints in our choices, that's typically where I, I think that's not where we make the best decisions. Right. At, at least uh, from from my practical experience working with organizations and working with very innovative organizations, whenever there's a constraint to the choices they have, they don't stop there and say, "Well, we we're going to choice we got A or B." They start looking for C and D. They start looking at integrating different ideas and different choices into creating a better solution. And that's really what, and I think at the end of the day, if you want to even think of it as an entrepreneur, I think that's one of the things that happens for entrepreneurs. That they, they just don't settle for the idea that there's choice A or B. Right. They're curious. They explore. They think differently. And, and in great innovative organizations, I think they attract people and invite people to behave that way. Yeah, they're not scared of people coming to take over their jobs because that's where the innovation comes from, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I had, I just had a recent conversation with a, with an executive about that and put it under the uh, – we found that the putting it in, into the category of letting go. What, what am I afraid to let go of here and let other people make decisions and choices around? And so what's that about? Well, that idea of command and control, right? I mean, and yeah. whether the leader's got some insecurity. Um, I, I, these are things I puzzle about all the time. And I, you know, I'm 
having a conversation with some folks about their workplace and I'm going to be out uh, talking to a collection of CEOs this coming uh, Wednesday about how to design, how to design, think their remote workforce. Uh Um, But you know, the warning to me was those CEOs don't care about culture. They want to, they just want to get the job done. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's about results, isn't it? And rightfully so to a great degree, it's, it's about getting good results. I, I think we're back to the, what does it look like? How? Yeah. Uh-huh. I think, you know, that's been a, that's been a kind of conversation over my career here in, in this business school is just when you get people to the precipice of, of making some decisions about that, how, and you and I have talked before that, you know, the, the, the why comes, the why is fairly discoverable and, and the what is, is right there at your fingertips. And then we get into that how, and that's the sticky mess yeah. where, where people want to have all of that conversation. But, you know, I, the, the challenge has always been we've gotten the results this way in the past, and we want to continue to get those same results or increased or improved results doing, that, doing it that way going forward, mm-hmm. right? I mean, almost like a, like a repeat loop. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. So... But the world, the world has changed. I, the world is always changing. Right. But, but this pace, you know, I mean, and, and I, Edgar, I, it had to be your idea because I think it was a relatively genius idea to start this <laughs> podcast from the great resignation um, or the great alignment, as we call it. Yeah. Because we were, we were at that human condition of saying, well, the desired future state might not be shared between me and my employer. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, however many months we're into that to that construct of of seeing kind of lots of people leaving their roles making decisions making decisions to retire early um, the global pandemic has really um, accelerated some decision making for some folks it has but the there's a reversion now there's a lot of organizations that are saying we got those results before and if you don't want to be here with us to get those results going forward, then I might not need you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find something else. And even the employees that want to stay are saying, well, wait a minute. You know, I like this work. I just think we could do it differently. I agree with that. And I think that's a lot of what's driving it. Um, so great alignment. Let's go back to that for just a moment and the importance of that, because that's going to have that's going to create a continuum. Um, once you start putting some energy into looking at your own life and realizing where you're in alignment and where you're in misalignment, you're going to pick up some traction on that and you're going to keep moving. Um, Hopefully, and I say this with with intention towards being helpful. If you're out there listening. One of the things you want to do is not let go of that energy and, and continue to use it going forward. <coughs> the, the aspect of this is that one of the things the pandemic reminded us all is that our time is limited because we saw people, we saw friends, we saw on the news every day how people were losing their lives and it reminded us of the significance of making every day and every moment count. And so that reminds us then, what am I doing with my time and what does that look like? 
And then we go forward to the place where we are now, where that is still resonating. It's still around us, that energy. And you're right. I think people are now looking for a bit of reversion, going back and looking nostalgically at the way things were. And I think in particular, we see managers, entrepreneurs, CEOs doing that in in a way. I think those that are being innovative are thinking, here's the opportunity to continue to use that energy going forward and not to hinder it in any way. Actually use it and, and leverage it, which is, I think, fundamentally is, is a really healthy approach to it. And I think doing that is going to provide for big return. That's a big piece of it. I also heard a group of CEOs that I was with just a couple of weeks ago. They were kind of pining in a way for the way things were because they were saying, well, right now, employees are more or less in the driver's seat because there's we have a shortage of talent. We we don't have enough people and, and it's hard to find good people for the business, et cetera. And sooner or later, the shoe's going to be on the other foot. And it's kind of an interesting way to look at because it makes it more of a conflict than it does a, a collaboration. And we know that the more innov- innovative approaches are through collaboration. So why not have a conversation about what the future is going to continue to look like as opposed to seeing it as a conflict between, well, who's in the driver's seat and who's not? And how does that all fit together? That's really, to me, is, is a pretty compelling place to have a conversation from. So, yeah, I love I loved that you shared that, Edgar. I think that is really, uh, I mean, just as you were sharing with Jim earlier, that it's not about a dichotomous this or that, A or B. It's, it's about an and and an integration of, of potential futures. Yeah. So, so I have a large, I have, I have so many questions, like I always do, but I was sharing with you and Jim that, you know, I just uh, became chair of the graduate business programs here in the Anderson College, and I have a bunch of very, very wonderful colleagues um, that are in what's going to end up being the biggest department in this college. And in our college had had its proverbial heyday already. And I'm asking the questions of how do we have another one? And And really... I'm going to need to reset a vision. So I have a, I have a question around that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of the data and all of the information that I'm seeing and, and trends across the nation and around the world uh, in terms of who's enrolling in, in business colleges are calling us to, to have a different vision. So I'm going to have a, a bunch of people who are like, yeah, why not? Let, let's go for that. And a bunch of people that are going to pine for that past, as you mentioned earlier, with those CEOs. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give to me as I enter into this meeting about resetting this vision? Because here's what I want. At the end of the day, I want, I want partners. Like, you know what? I have to do the evaluations and, and all of those things required with, of management. But I want partners. I want people to build with Right, I I want like Jim and his partner. That's that's the version I want. I don't want to mandate or dictate or require. I actually I would even invite them into creating that vision together. But we have to our actions have to align with the accomplishment of that vision. And and I we see yeah. this we see this in so many industries like. 
just get the results. And so we continue to like double our efforts down on the things we've done because they've worked in the past with a different set of students. And, you know, in my younger career, one of the phrases that drove me, that still drives me crazy to this day is when you, you get a, an older manager, an older boss who says, we tried that before. And it's dismissed. Um, and, you know, the conditions, the conditions are rapidly changing in the world. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's the first question I have. How do you set a vision and get people on board as, as that first one? Lean into the process. Yeah, so say more. Well, I, I think first and foremost, being able to communicate what you just communicated is key. If you notice in everything that you just said, it, is, it really is an inquiry. The intention is to engage people. So to be clear and to be able to state that, and you did. So in what you said, if you listen carefully, when you play it back, you'll hear, I'd like to get them engaged. I, I want them to be a part of. I want this collaboration. My intention is for the relationship. This is what the relationship between or for this team or group looks like. And to be able to begin the conversation with that. And then leaning into that formula of intention plus inquiry equals conversation. So, and the next place is to begin asking questions, to inquire, to ask how they see it, what they're looking for. I think if anything, the way that you just said it, I would suggest you say to the group. I think you just put it out there really well, including the concern about not being able to get there or that there are people in the group that may want to go back to the way it was as opposed to finding a new future. So I think you, you, you just a statement in the way that you positioned it just now, I find in coaching uh, executives and CEOs and leaders, very often the question that they're asking me as their coach is what they need to be asking the people that they're with. Yeah. Here's my intent. I ask them, what's the intention? Here it is. What are you concerned about? Here it is. What do you want it to look like? Well, here it is. Okay, good. Now you've got now you've got your communication to your team. There it is. It's right there. So lean into the process to be able to do that and think about how intentional the relationships need to be then built and developed within the team or within the framework and the level of trust that that actually evokes. Because one of the things that creates the distrust in so many uh, relationships between leader and followers is the lack of clarity, the lack of that it's not sincere, it's not authentic. And we put such a great value on transparency and authenticity these days because it's it's so real. And then I think, uh, I just thought in my own mind, this idea of you know choices A, B, or C, uh, I think it's A, B, or P for possibility. Yeah. And start thinking about that very differently. And so you've talked about intention, you've talked about collaboration, and then you want to invite them to design from a place of possibility. And what does that look like? And then leaning into the process, you can see what the pieces are. So let's create a vision. And let's create a vision around what we think the student strategy or the student experience looks like. What is a student success strategy? Just like a customer success strategy. And there, from there, you can begin to unpack and take a look at what are the products and services that we, and what is this? What can this actually look like? And let's expand on that. And the conversation may actually include some students, which you've done before. 
I know that as part of a design session that you did here at the Innovation Center that included MBA students and, and entrepreneurs. And wow, what a rich conversation that was, which led the way to the redesign of your MBA program, which is, which is just so wonderful, um, which is a part of that recreation, part of that redesign. And then you look at it through the lens of, okay, what is our branding? What is our communication to, to the marketplace? And what kind of a culture and how do we want to behave? And what does that look like for all of us? And then, of course, it comes back to, and this is all the way at the outset, what is your influence as a leader? And how aligned are you and how it is that you, you, you engage the group? Yeah. You make it sound so simple, Edgar. <laughs> the art of complexity lies in simplicity. Indeed. You know, we're just... I'm and just, I have a simple mind, so... Well, you and me both. I, I, I think that this is, you know, this is where we're seeing this all over. Uh, you know, thank you for, for walking through that, um, you know, and some positive feedback. You know, you mentioned that redesign of the MBA in those sessions. It, and, you know, we got to a place where we heard so clearly from the students, from the alumni, from people from other MBA programs, from people hiring folks into their MBA that... We need to have a program that, that creates a bunch of mindsets and skill sets is, is the framework that I've used. And there's quite the long list. And I, um, you know, that conference I was at last week when I, when I missed our weekly conversation was really saying inside a business school, you need to develop these skills and this level of humanity simultaneously. Yeah, I, I think you've hit on, I, I think that's key because I think that's always been there and sometimes we fail to acknowledge it in the business world. Um, that Those two are, are always at play. They are. Well, and here's, here's that tension of the pining for the past and the potential future. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I'm about, uh, I'm writing an article for a, a request for a book that talks about Years ago, we designed a master's degree in regenerative finance and economics. And it's this idea of, um, you know, Friedman-style economic process is a hammer and it works. Okay. To a point. Uh -huh. Right? And, and we know out in the world that the request, the societal request of business is to pay attention to all of the stakeholders rather than just returning money to the shareholders. So to think about business's impact more holistically, which a lot of employees are now asking their employers for, right? We couldn't get that degree through the university because somebody said, well, when they graduate, they can't get a job right now because they won't have this traditional finance path. And no matter how many ways we reframe the argument to say this is a job for the future, maybe not for right now, but it's a job for the future, we couldn't convince the internal political machine that we should do something like that. But I go to these conferences, and that's what they're saying. The world needs business to work this way, not in the absence of making profit and generating revenue in addition to doing that. Mm -hmm. And he's, you know, back to these questions of, you know, talking, talking with a, um, with an acquaintance that has a, a, a boss who has 
come in new and has a short time in seat and has ideas for how to change things, but hasn't talked to anybody. So everything you said to me is my advice of setting that intention and building that relationship such that you build trust, such that you can have these conversations about possibility. Mm -hmm. Um, None of that has taken place, right? You just have a, you have a position on the org chart that is above somebody else. Right. And as soon as you start moving in that direction, yes, it's required. There needs to be role definitions. We need to have some, some structure around it. I think as soon as you start leaning too much into just the competency side and you don't have the consciousness side, I, I think your idea of mindset and skill set is a very important one because, and as we develop leaders, as we develop people in the organization, I think it's important to keep an eye on, on that integration and an easy way to remember it is one is competency, the other one is consciousness. So how are we integrating the two C's, the competency and consciousness, and to bring those together? Yeah. That's, uh, that's a really good point about that. And to be able to do that, uh, again, it's, um, I think it evokes the responsibility of, of leaders really to listen and it evokes the responsibility of leaders to, to develop their own sense of consciousness and their own ability to evoke their own power of choice around around how it is that they approach this. Much like you're in a situation where you're going to meet with a, with a group, a team, and until you reflect internally, and we've done it in the dialogue, you and I, and it, it shows you the importance of dialogue in the, in the leadership process, because I can't lead without dialogue. I cannot be effective as a leader without dialogue. I can't have the level of consciousness I need without the dialogue, which is what, what makes coaching so powerful. It creates a dialogue of consciousness. And so competency and consciousness need to be consistently integrated. For And I think we're now working with an organization that's rolling out conflict management skills and design thinking mm-hmm. throughout an entire organization. In fact, we're, we may be working with two large corporations doing this. Thousands of people being more or less given the opportunity. It's called training, employee training. But really what we're talking about here is the development of those two components. And we also see then as, as we lean into the process that if we teach a process like design thinking, we teach conflict management processes, what we're doing is we're engaging in a deeper and more significant la- level of, of shared consciousness. And that collective, that's what makes it work. It's much like in the, the book, um, Leadership by, De- excuse me, Innovation by Design, uh, looking at it through that lens of what the collective imagination looks like, that we need consciousness and free expression. Um, we need a, a, a sense of of. Uh, competency and knowledge and pursuit of knowledge and engagement and participation to make that happen. Those are all the elements that we need to be able to bring into the, into organizations and bring into how we do things so we can get those higher levels of dialogue and get those higher levels of problem solving and, and innovation and at play. There's some kind of magic there when a leader decides that not only do they want um, are they exploring their own consciousness, but they're bringing that level of consciousness to the employees as well? Yeah, and I think historically, I think historically when we looked at, if you look back, you find that 
And and this is something that I think is really important to recognize this pull effect is that we historically have reserved that for leaders and executives, that we've done that kind of work with them. We haven't done that kind of work throughout in throughout organizations. And I think now we're at a place where we can do that. And if you really want to talk about a great remote workforce, we're talking about make, uh, making that available so that everyone is it just is coming at it from a higher level of thinking, a higher level of consciousness about what the what the possibilities are for their contribution. Which you multiply that effect, and that's where that's where the performance resides. Yeah, I feel like that's where I've seen all the misalignments with my previous workplaces. Is like the CEO or the manager comes with this great idea and intention, but he doesn't bring it to the dialogue or bring it to the table in a way that the employees. Or anyone else can understand, and or they get wants frustrated, to do. Yeah. and then they get, yeah, and then the leader gets frustrated. How come nobody's getting it? Yeah, um, and then they I, get more frustrated. You might want to start with an inquiry. The intention is, I'd like you to all look at it, and my inquiry is, what's getting in the way? Yeah, and understanding how they need to hear it, I think, is the biggest thing. Right, and how they need to hear it then gives the the result of that is, how as a leader do I perform at a higher level in providing it? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think there's something in the air, Jim. Thanks for those comments. I think there's, we just had last week, we relaunched our SEED Institute here in the Anderson College. SEED is an is a acronym for Sustainable Economic and Enterprise Development Institute that's run by, um, newly relaunched by Dr. Abby Schneider. And she kicked off with um, Raj Sisodia, who is the founder of the Conscious Capitalism Movement. And, and he talks about, uh, you know, he's he's a well-regarded uh, author, and he talks about conscious capitalism. But we almost, you know, the, the modern version of a CEO in the public's eyes is kind of this either hero or villain. Either way, they have the spotlight on them. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what has happened is it creates this idea that all of the good ideas are supposed to come from the leadership. Um. Right. And Edgar, you just you gave us different language there because, you know, leaning into the process is the, in that the, the concept of the pull effect is really to say, let's be in this process together. The processes taking taken together as a whole will help the bottom line performance of our business. We know this. We've seen it. You've studied it in innovation by design. Um but there's still such a desire of a leader to be like, I know the answers, <laughs> right? I, I am the mountain, come to me and I will show you. As opposed to the proverbial walking down the mountain and saying, let's do this together and then we'll all know. Yeah. I mean, and, if, and the wisdom of just realizing that the answer is always in the question. Yeah, usually your boots on the ground have a pretty good idea where to start, you know, on the misalignments, mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah. It may not be the right answer, but it's it's at least a place to start. And engagement surveys, and uh, let's not confuse an engagement survey with a culture survey, too. By the way, that's a. When you think about engagement surveys, really, what if it's working well? What we're doing is we're simply asking what's working and what's not. That's it. What's yeah. working? What's not? We we can by by overstructuring that kind of a conversation into a survey. Uh, at times, uh, doesn't really give you what you're looking for. In fact, in, uh, I think in most cases it doesn't, because you're leading the inquiry in a way that you're limiting the choice of the choice of response. Yep. Um, 
I know when we when we conduct interviews with executives that we engage in teams and organizations we work with, the basic construct of our interviews is pretty much so tell tell us about what's working and tell us about what's not and tell us where your challenges are, which are then the opportunities. And to see that way and as we always say, every misalignment is an opportunity. That's the way it works. So look for them. Look for them in, in our personal lives, in our relationships, and in our businesses. It always comes back to that, doesn't it? It's the truth. Trust in the process. All right, cheesy move for, cheesy mover, movie reference of Monday. Ah, okay. I was just wondering where it was. We're running out of time. I was like, <laughs> I, I haven't heard I, it. I haven't heard it. You know, this one, the movie is just such, so, such cheese, um, but, the, but the intent is, is good behind it, right? And I, I, I have to bring us to the Jerry Maguire reference today where he's in a whole sports agent industry. Right. But he's seeing possibility because he he's forced to develop a relationship, direct relationship with his client and his family. And he moves from being somebody who gets the biggest deal for deal's sake to somebody that is taking care of a client. Right? I mean, and that's all he's, you know, he's listening, he's listening to uh, books on tape like our podcast and he's making these big giant life decisions right he writes some manifesto or I forget what he calls it in the movie because it's been a long time um, but he decides he's going after something different and he sees some possibility he's actually unclear what the possibility is right I mean he you know destroys his entire career basically he's looking for it he's looking for alignment he's in search of yeah he's in search of yeah. While Stanley Tucci's looking for Italy, the entire world's looking for alignment. That's right. <laughs> and I think it goes back to something that's so powerful in that you can have a great product or service if you don't have a customer, you, you don't you don't have you don't have a business, you don't so it it always comes back to that. And I think the same thing goes for employee experiences. You know, you can have a great idea if you don't have people to help you, you know, actually set it in motion and, and make it happen and bring it to life. The yeah. world's changing around us. The employees yeah. of an organization, the people with the boots on the ground, as you mentioned, Jim, they're the ones that are most clo- closely aligned with how the world's changing. Yep. We do it together. In any business, we all do it together. Mm. Taking the time to listen, maybe even to hear what you don't want to hear necessarily. It's a mark of a good leader. Very true. Well, Thank you for the advice today. I missed you guys last week. I mean, I I was so disappointed when my calendar said I wasn't going to be here for the podcast. Like I, I I so enjoy these conversations on Monday mornings. It is the best way to start the week. Yeah. So, and I couldn't come up with a movie quote last week. I'm not very good with movies or actors (laughs) or actresses. I can think of one here and there. They never, never, never do they seem to really fit as well. The biggest challenge is that my movie references are all of a certain age, <laughs> if you're keeping track at home. I've noticed that. <laughs> I don't watch movies as much as I used to. <laughs> well, all, all mine would be the Toy Story, so. <laughs> the Toy Story. The glory of grandkids. Yeah. Uh, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, just added another acorn to my arm for uh, my... Uh, for Millie Rose. So on my arm, I have a tattoo of a uh, of an oak leaf uh, uh, that's uh, in its autumn years. 
this is my mighty oak. It was uh, paralyzed for a while after an accident and came back, and, and then on my oak leaf I've surrounded it with acorns from, for from tiny acorns do mighty oaks grow. And so my five grandchildren, I carry them with me wherever I go. You shared that, uh, that story of your arm um, yeah. in the conversation with Tim Story in one yeah. of the earlier podcasts, if you, anybody wants to listen. That was a, yeah, it's, it's a powerful story. Yeah. Well, with that, then, I think we're out of time. <laughs> so yeah. we don't go into that story again. Good call. Well, I'd like to thank you all for, for tuning in and listening, um, though tuning in may be old and clicking on. And, um, yeah, thank you very much. And we'll be back uh, next week for another episode or another session here. And the dialogue continues in true alignment, keeping in mind that the great predictor of success is alignment. So I'm Edgar Papke. I'm Ken Sagendorf. I'm Jim Newhoffen. <laughs> Good job, Jim. See you next time around. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone.